The following For the City Church sermon is part of our summer sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising, entitled Under the Sun, from the book of Ecclesiastes. We hope you enjoy it. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to gather around and to hear your word. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to, to prayerfully sing, uh, to sing truths, to have our mind filled with truth, because, Lord, each one of us are either are drifting away from you or intentionally seeking you. Um, there's no one neutral. Uh, and so, Lord, we ask right now that you would reveal yourself in a profound way through your word and through the preaching of your word, that we would be able to see and, and understand more fully, more deeply the love of God, which is unsearchable. So no matter where we're at, we can know more fully of your love. And so we ask that you would reveal that to us, that you'd give us sight. That's what we need, Lord, because essentially we will become what we behold, and we ask that we behold you through your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, so uh, we're going to continue in Ecclesiastes this morning. I know last week we took a little bit of a break. Pastor Kevin, uh, I have no doubt, did a great job. I've not had a chance to, to listen to that sermon, but I'm always so thankful to leave and know that you're in good hands because a man who's working to handle the Word of God rightly. So, uh, but today we're back in Ecclesiastes. And if you recall, um, two weeks ago we surveyed the subject of worship under the sun, right? We only looked at like five verses or six verses last week or two weeks ago. This week, we're looking at a chunk, but I think you'll see there's, a, there's one theme flowing through it. Um, most of you probably don't know what a chiasm is and who, who cares, right? It's like this, this, but it's a sandwich, okay? It's really not, but like you got some bread and you got some bread and you got the meat in the middle, right? That's what really we're looking at in this teaching today. He's going to talk about one theme of money, on both, let's call that the bread, but the meat and the heart of it is the grace to be able to actually enjoy this thing. So we're going to be looking at the subject of money. Question, can you ever have enough? You can answer that in your head. You can write it down. You can share with a friend. But J.D. Rockefeller, who is one of the richest men in the world, answered that question when someone said, how much money was enough? And he famously said, just a little bit more. Right? You ever feel that? Well, you're like, I don't know who J.D. Rockefeller is. Well, how about Wu-Tang? Are you familiar with Wu-Tang? Wu-Tang Clan famously rapped, cash rules everything around me, cream, dollar, dollar bill, y'all, right? Um, if you pay attention, that's true. You're like, I'm not into rap. Uh, okay, Mr. Krabs uh, <laughs> said, if you are wasting, if you're wasting, listen, this is some wisdom, right? It's not from the Bible, but it doesn't mean it's not true. And all truth is God's truth. If you're wasting time, you're wasting money. And that's just sick. He said, I don't know if that's true, by the way. Uh, a five-letter word for happiness, he also said, is money. That is not true. You'll find out. Biggie rap, mo money, mo problems. We're going to find out. I mean, they're all saying conflicting things. What is true here? Well, how about Jesus, right? Uh, and I'm not putting him with them. Um, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. He also said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that is funny, by the way. Jesus had humor. Um, you know, some people are like, no, he meant the eye of the gate. No, he actually didn't. He meant eye of a needle, right? And imagine a camel going through it. And you'd say, that's pretty hard. Actually, it's worse than hard. It's, it's impossible. And, and that's the point. He's saying, you cannot get into the kingdom of heaven apart from God. You need a miracle. You need a, it's like, honey, I shrunk the camel, right? Like something profound has to happen for that to happen. And so who's right? Is it Mr. Krabs who says it brings happiness? Is it Biggie who says it brings problems? Well, I got to tell you, as with most things in life, it's never that simplistic. It's just not. The, the, the subject of money in the Bible is a very complex subject. And I'm going to give you four categories to think about. And I'm not going to touch them all, but this, this gives you a little framework as a Christian when you think about money. And, and here they are. Uh, there are those who are righteous and wealthy, right? They have tons of money, but they're righteous with what they have. They seek to steward it well. They seek to glorify God in all that they do. They're generous, right? 
But, but then there's also righteous poor. And what I mean by that is they're working class poor. They are struggling. They're working one, two jobs, but they're seeking to provide for their family. And guess what? They're generous as well. So those are your two categories. But then, but then there's unrighteous wealthy. And I think they're like, oh yeah, we don't know about that. Well, yeah, that's for sure true. There are unrighteous wealthy people. They just want more money and they don't care about how many people they have to use to get it. And I think that's easy to convince you of. But then there's this other category that most Americans don't ever want to talk about. And it's unrighteous poor. And it's those who just, they're just the same as the unrighteous rich. They're just not very good at getting it. And, and they're just as greedy because it's a matter of the heart. And, and so that's a little framework as we think about money and as we look at this text. So we learn from some people and what they would have to say. But how about... The, uh, the richest man in history. What does the richest man in history have to say about cold, hard cash? See, Solomon's qualified to talk about money. You know, in a recent um, study, they, they did this really cool thing where they ranked the wealthiest people that had ever lived based on the amount of money that they would have according to, the, to today's standards, right? And, and let me tell you, Solomon's estimated net worth according to like First Kings and, and all the different research they've done, would be somewhere around $2.1 trillion, with a T, dollars. So if you're like, well, what's he have to teach me? Well, he's the wisest fool that ever walked the earth, right? And he had a lot of money, like a ton, a trillionaire. I can't even fathom that. Like, right, like I'm like a hundred air, and it's not that exciting. <laughs> But I'm thankful, right? I'm very thankful. And so what's the first thing we need to learn from this text that Ryan just read? Well, one is, this is the first point. Wealth makes a horrible God. This makes a horrible God. And, and listen, we're going to work from chapter 5, 8 through 17. And we're going to hit a little pause because that's where the sandwich meat is. We're going to jump to 6. But, but listen, we know from two weeks ago that God desires undivided worship. He desires your whole heart. He desires your everything. By the way, side note, when, when parents teach children about giving, many times they'll make a mistake. They'll lay out 10 dimes and they'll say, now tell me, sweetie, how many does God want? And they'll say, like a good little kid, they'll be like, oh, daddy, he wants one. Because that's 10% and they're teaching tithing. But can I just tell you that like, that's not the case for the New Testament Christian? He wants all of them. They're all his. And how you steward all 10 dimes matters. It's not, he gets one, I get nine, right? No, it's, your whole life's his, and he wants it all. Why? Because he's for you. And you've got to get this, right? Because here's why. Money is a big deal in the Bible, and you're like, oh, is this one of those churches that talk about money? Actually, if you've come to any of our services since September, this is the first time we're talking about it. You know why we're talking about it? Because Solomon's talking about it. That's why we go through books of the Bible. We don't have a chart out front that says, God loves a generous giver, and he does. That's Bible. But then you got a chart that says, uh, this is a hallelujah giver. He gives 50%. An amen giver gives 35%. And I'm over here on the right side where it's like, you're going to hell, giver. You've not given anything. <laughs> you laugh. I went to a church that had a chart like that. So when people are like, ugh, I hate when I go to church and they talk about money, I get that. But then the opposite mistake can happen, and that's you never talk about money. And guess what? You're not being a biblical Christian at that point because Jesus talked a lot about money. Don't believe me? Come see and hear Luke for the next three years. Right? <laughs> it keeps growing, I know, but it's a big book, man. It's the biggest book in the New Testament. It's going to take some time. So is this sermon if I don't get moving. All right. <laughs> Why does it matter? Because money can pull our souls away from worshiping God. It's why it's a big deal. It's why it's a huge deal. We all feel the pull. Yes, even Christians feel the pull towards wanting more and more. Like Mr. Krebs, like money, money, money. Like I, I need more. How much is enough? I need a little bit more. If I just had a, a raise, if I just got more money, less bills, I'd have less problems. But then Biggie said no. So like, what do we do? Well, Christians understand that like the greatest treasure is the message of the gospel. But it's not the message. It's Christ. Christ is the greatest treasure, right? The gospel is the means to receiving that which your soul longs for. Whether you realize it or not, your soul 
thirst for God. And so many times we try to drink from different fountains to, to satisfy that quench. And money is one of them. It's true for the Christian as well as those who are not convinced of the gospel. But those who are convinced of the gospel understand that the forgiveness of sins, the free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did through his life, death, and resurrection is the greatest treasure because it, it connects us to the one who created us. Right? Ultimate joy is not found in this world under the sun. That's his point. He keeps saying it. He keeps pounding it in your head over and over. And I'm continually praying, Holy Spirit, put it in their heart. But I know as I stand here and I preach that you're, there's time you're not convinced. There are times you're not convinced. Why? Because I know my own heart. Oh, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so does Solomon. So the question is, is money good or bad? Well, ultimately it's neither. It's neutral. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. It, it's not moral. It's what do you do with it that makes it good or bad, right? And so let's look, and we're going to work our way through Ecclesiastes 5, 8 through 10. That's where we're going to start. Let me read it. If you see in a providence the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. Like, like if you see horrible things happening in the world, don't be like, <gasps> right? Like, just study history. There's nothing new under the sun. It just keeps repeating itself. And the wind chases its tail. And if you don't believe me, read Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Or just pay attention. It's Groundhog Day, right? No, it's only happening with this presidency. No, it's happening with every presidency because Cash rules everything around me. Cream. I won't go on. <laughs> dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Don't be amazed. This is why oppression happens, because cash is ruling their desire. And they're willing to ruin people to get it. For the high official is watching by a higher, and yet there is a higher one over them. But this is gain for a land in every way. A king committed to cultivate fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. By the way, what does that mean? Well, that's a great question. And I'll tell you right now, I've read a lot of smart people, and they don't know. Now, I mean, the last sentence seems pretty clear. But the other thing, it seems like a little bit of sarcasm, quite honestly. He, he's basically saying there's a king, and he's using all these people. But so are the people that are below him. They're using people, and so are the people that are below him. But hey, at least we got a field full of grain. It seems like that. But you could find a lot of people that would disagree. But, but here's the thing. What's being said here is the problem is not money or wealth. It's not. It's the love of it. This is the problem, right? It's the root of all evil. We'll get to that in a moment or well, later on. But, but no matter how much money people have, those who love it will never be satisfied. So Solomon had 300 wives, 700 concubines. That's 1,000 ladies if you're good with math, right? And if you're not good with math, you should probably still do that. What's 1,001? 2.1 trillionaire. What's 2.2 going to do? It's just... It's chasing the wind. It's just, it's not good. He's saying it doesn't satisfy short term. I mean, I'll be right now, I'll be honest. If y'all like this, drop a couple K in my bank account, I'll be like, thank you very much. It will help. Um, but, it, but it ain't going to satisfy for long. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It spends quickly. Why doesn't it satisfy? Well, he continues. Look at 11 through 17 in chapter 5 with me. He says, when goods increase, <laughs> he's going to give us some reasons. They increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his own eyes? First off, here's the first thing he's saying. Other people will attempt to take it from us. Taxes, IRS, lawyers, human leeches, right? They just come out of the woodwork. I know it's a termite, but anyway, when you have money, they just come around. Mike Tyson, man, I love this dude, but like he's not a great example to probably watch early on in his life. And he had so much money, but he didn't understand everyone around him was using him. And he ended up with no money. And everybody else filled their pockets. So he, he could say, yeah, that's true. He would say it like, yeah, that's true. But, <laughs> but it's still true. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the stomach, the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. What's he saying? Secondly is, it, you know, love of money will keep you up at night. 
And, and, and you could read this a couple ways. Like you're worried about it. You're always wringing your hands. You're wondering if you got enough. What about the stock market? There was a 17-year-old young man at the camp who said, Pastor Scott, did you hear about the euro? I'm like, no. Well, what about the euro? He's like, it's really dropping. It's like really low. It's dangerously low. I said, what does that mean? I mean, I know what it means, but I want to see if he knows. Because I don't know, but I hear it's bad. I said, did you hear that on TikTok? He goes, yes. I said, quit watching TikTok. <laughs> He's freaked out. He's up at night. He's 17. Well, the same thing happens to, to older people, middle-aged people, younger people. They're terrified. I mean, there's so much fear-mongering going on right now in social media because of money. We're going to run out of toilet paper, and your 401k is going to go where toilet paper goes when you're done with it. I mean, it's just going to be bad. It's just, you thought the Great Depression was horrible. Hang in there. It's going to get worse. And everybody's like, Ugh! and they're freaking out. But I don't think that's why this guy's up at night. He says about a full stomach. I don't think it's because he doesn't have much. I think it's because he has so much. And it makes sense as we keep reading, too, because he's tossing and turning. He's eating rich food, but he ain't working. And he didn't have a treadmill back then, right? What a strange thing that is. But anyway, he, he's tossing and turning because he's just, he's lazy. Well, he, okay, he continues. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is... And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. What's he saying? Well, he's saying you can't hoard forever. Money's fleeting. It may be here today, but it's gone tomorrow. You keep money and eventually, what if the stock market crashes? You've lost it all and you've wasted your life. That's what he's saying. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil, just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Lastly, he's saying is that it's temporary. We can't take it with us. We've all heard the comment, there's not a hitch behind a hearse. You don't ever see a, a hearse pulling a U-Haul. That's what he's saying. And then he finishes with this. He says, moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Sounds like a, a miserable life. I mean, that last sentence haunting. I mean, read it again and think about it. Because it, it gives us this pathetic picture of what it will look like if greed is your God. This is where it leads. You'll be at home. Now, your lights will be on because you have enough money to pay the electricity or the wind power or whatever it will be then. But let me tell you right now, the picture that's painted here that's really sad is that he's alone. And he has much regret. And he's about to die. That's the picture. It's a haunting picture. It will lead you empty and alone if greed is your God. Um, or as Tyler Darden once said from Fight Club, the things that you own end up owning you. you know, the, the more you have, the more they own you. You're a slave to these things. And we know this to be true. If you'll just slow down and you'll look around at the world around us, you'll, you'll quickly see that even though our money may say, in God we trust, it probably should say, in money we trust. And I know because it's just permeating all the different avenues of communication, right? And this is a problem. It is the problem. Not money in itself, but the love of it. It's idolatry, right? It's, it's, the, it's, it's idolatry. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this. Paul said to Timothy, he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, this desire, this want that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This isn't a little thing he's saying here. And you might be thinking, well, this is for rich people. And I can tell you right now, just by standing here and looking around, I'd say almost all of you are probably wealthy in today's standards, according to the world and the world at large right? Like, you're like, well, not me, bro. You don't know. Well, I'm telling you right now, most people have like two-car garage, right? I did. I sold it. Now I have no garage. I just park on the streets. Pretty cool. Uh, but we don't even park our cars in our two-car garage. We fill them with junk, and then we let our car outside. There are people that don't have a house, but our cars have a home. And so if you think, well, yeah, but I don't have a ton of money, I bet you spend no, this is not just you. I'm like, limelight on me too, right? Like coffee. I love coffee. Oh, my budget for coffee is insane. I really should get checked. Um, but, but we just spend money on these things. We say we don't have money. No, you have money. 
you do have money, there are people that don't have these things. They really understand poverty. But I can tell you right now, even though America has the most money, it is some of the most impoverished people I've ever met in my life. Of the soul. Of real joy. And of real satisfaction. Because they keep pursuing it. And guess what? It don't satisfy. Not long term. I promise you, it does not. Don't believe me? Believe the word. It's what Paul says. Through this craving, some have actually wandered from the faith. They've wandered from trusting God to trusting in their money. And they have pierced themselves with many pangs. It's dangerous. It's it's such a problem. Why is love of money such a problem? Because the love of money is virtually the same thing as faith or trust or confidence or assurance, right? In money. It's an idolatry problem. Essentially, we think money will meet our needs and make us happy. We believe Mr. Krabs functionally. We might say, I believe the Bible, but the way we live, and if we could look at your checking account, my checking account might show that's not always the case. Now, if if that's not true for you, praise God. That means the, the Lord has done a profound miracle in your heart. You did not do that. I used to love money. Oh, I was such a lover of money. God changed my heart. I didn't do that. I have no power to do that. You don't either. The reason this happens is because people think that money will actually give them contentedness and make them happy. Because if, if, I, just, if I had more money, I'll have more comfort. Right? And if I have more comfort, I have more security. If I have more security, I'll have some peace. Right? I've seen people say, oh, I'm good because my 401k is rocking. But then their 401k gets rocked, and now they are rocked. It's so fleeting. Love of money is essentially the alternative to trusting God to provide. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot You can't trust in God while trusting in money at the same time. You must choose. Belief in one is unbelief in the other. And that is clearly what he's saying. See, the heart that loves money banks on money for safety, security, satisfaction. And this is, it's vanity under the sun. It's foolishness. It's, it's, It's like trying to grab smoke and put it in your pocket. You can't. I can see it. I can smell it. I go to grab it. I think I got it, and it's gone. Where did it go? That's what he's saying about money, the love of money. This life is, if you you love money, I'm going to tell you right now, your life is miserable. It is. I know because I was there. I had the T-shirt. I was in the mud puddle with the rest. I wasn't doing as good as some. But I'm telling you right now, it was a miserable and meaningless life. Thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes. Ask him to open yours if that's where you're at. He loves to do it. And he gives grace to the humble. But he opposes the proud. So you must choose. Let's read all of chapter 6 now. And we're not going to talk about every little piece. Um, but, but I want you to know, chapter 6 is quite possibly one of the darkest chapters in all the Bible. If you'll pay attention. Um, Because if you're able to follow along, here's what you're going to hear. No matter how long we live or how much money we have, it's all meaningless unless we can enjoy it, which will never happen unless we're given the power to do so. Okay? So that's that's a summary of what I'm about to read. He says, There's an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possession, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. I mean, imagine that. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. So like you you die and now someone else got your stuff. He says, this is vanity. It's a grievous evil. If a a man fathers a hundred children, it would have been a huge blessing, right? I know some people back where I come from, they're trying to do that. It's like, whoa. Um, And lives many years. Another thing, that's another huge blessing, Right? So that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And he has no burial. Think about that. Meaning no one's there. He had a hundred kids. No one's there. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. As a man who's done a funeral for a stillborn child, that should punch you in the soul. 
The hardest thing I've ever done is a, is a, is a funeral for a little casket. My wife and I have lost a child. That's a punch in the soul. So hear the weight of it. Be like my friend who's 13 and Julian. It's depressing. Yeah, he's trying to strike a chord with you to let you know, don't waste your life seeking money as your God. Well, keep reading. For it comes in vanity and it goes in darkness and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all things go to one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity, a striving after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is, and that he's not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. Here today, gone to more, right? For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Don't miss that phrase, because we know what happens after this life. But under the sun, apart from God, who can tell a man what's going to happen? He won't listen. Think of this picture. You've wasted your life. You have a hundred kids. They've grown up. You, how many grandkids you might have? You have this abundant life. You've given, been given many years, and you have no power to enjoy it because you love money more than all these things. It's better that you'd be a stillborn child than to be that man. You think, well, whew, thanks for the New Testament. Well, listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12, 16 through 21. He told him a parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Meaning like it's, it's a bumper crop. Like I got tons of crops, right? And he said, I know, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger, larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, it's weird he talks to his soul. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Okay. This, this sounds, I've heard this story. But God said to him, full. Full. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? I mean, God's an owner of everything, including your soul. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Oh, a great downfall to this country is that it worships not God, but money. Is there a better way to live? Yes. You're like, this is depressing. Yeah, it is. But thankfully, there is a better way to live. And that's where we're at next. And it's the way of grace. It's the way of grace. Oh, right? God deals in the currency of grace. It's not earning. It's not earning. You don't earn love from God. You receive gift, grace from God. Right? We want to earn. It's just so in us to want to say, I did that. There's something inherently good about me that makes him love me. There's nothing inherently good about any of you, including me, that makes God love us. He died for you while you were a weak, ungodly sinner. That is grace, my friends. It is mercy. Mercy is giving you something you do not deserve. You deserve wrath. He pardons you. Grace is then saying, and I'm not done showing off. I'm going to pardon all your sin. I'm going to forgive all your sin. And then I'm going to adopt you. And I'm going to bring you in my home. And oh, by the way, I am the king of all. That is grace. And this is how he deals with humanity who received this gift, right? So, so God deals in the currency of grace, not in earning. And if you trust in God, then, then you're rich towards God. 
Are you rich towards God today? That's a real question for you to wrestle with. Are you rich towards God? I'm not saying did you earn anything. I said, did you just open up your hands and just receive? Right? Grace, 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 grace. Like, give me more. And you can never exhaust him. Imagine if you were just dropped in the middle of the ocean and everywhere you looked, there was no land. That is what it's like being in the hands of God as his child. That is grace. You can't, no matter where I swim, there he is. He's giving me more of himself, giving me more of his love, giving me more of his mercy, giving me more of his forgiveness. He loves to do that. Why? Because he's a generous God. He's not like this man who has a hundred kids and doesn't give a rip about them. No, he loves his children. And he only has all these things to show off how much he loves you so that you will then in turn see his goodness, his grace, and, and instead of dutifully obeying like, well, I suppose I've got to go do something for God now, you can just be like, oh, he loves me so much. Why would I not want to do whatever he says because he's so good? Just look at the gospel. Look at Christ. Because that is his love on display. It's all yours. Take it if you want. It's not mine. But I know that you'll never leave me. You'll never abandon me. You'll always be there. The 401k may crash, but your love will never fail. And you will give me the grace I need. And if that grace is needed to suffer and starve and die and go into glory, it's sufficient. So many times people want to say, yeah, just trust in God and you'll get some more Benjamins. Sometimes you trust in God and lose your Benjamins. But you know what he gives? In that moment, he gives more of himself. He gives you the grace to want, to suffer. And if need be, go off in glory and never want again. Why? Because he's a good God and he can be trusted. Which is the second and final point. God gives us the power to enjoy. (laughs) That's a great sentence. It's not done. And be generous with wealth. Where do you see that, Scott? I see it in 5, 18 through 20. This is the heart. This is the, you know, Genoa salami of the sandwich, right? Like, that's a good sandwich, by the way. Um, Listen to what he says. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. Oh man, don't miss that statement. And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God, listen, listen, this sentence has wrecked me for two weeks. For he will not much remember the days of his life. He's not navel gazing. He's not wondering how much lint's in there or how much cash is in there. He doesn't have time. Why? Because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. <laughs> oh, man, I want more of that. I want more of you. Oh, God, help me to raise my eyes and my heart to you. May the affections of my heart match what is true. Help me, Lord. Right? He says, find enjoyment in eating. Did I last night, right? I didn't overindulge. I was really proud of myself. Pants still fit. Amen. Find enjoyment in drinking. And all the Baptists get nervous, right? Like, don't get drunk. And if your conscience allows you, have a good cab, right? Find enjoyment in all your toil. Everybody's like, ah, eating and drinking, I'm cool with. Toil, mmm. Why? Because your time on earth is like a vapor. It is here today, it's gone tomorrow. But whatever time you have, I want you to know is sacred. It is a sacred gift from God. You're like, you don't know my life. Your life, no matter what, is a sacred gift from God. Life under the sun is to be enjoyed in the Son of God. 
It's not under the sun. You will not find satisfaction in this world long term. I'm telling you right now, I would walk away from Jesus and not follow him anymore if you could offer me deeper and longer, more profound joy than is found in Christ. I would leave right now. The reason I say it with such confidence is because there is nothing deeper, nothing longer than eternity. Joy found in God. He quenches your thirst. Why? Because he created you. Everything that's being dealt with in Ecclesiastes is saying, I want to find joy in creation, not the creator. And Solomon is saying, you can do that, but your junior varsity at best, I'm varsity. I've done that. $2.1 trillion. You don't understand that. I do. I had that. And it's still an empty pursuit. It's vanity. It's meaningless. It doesn't make you happy. Oh, well, what will? Knowing him and being content with what he's given you and receiving it as a gift, even if it's like Johnny and you are now paralyzed from the neck down. Receive it. Why? Because he has joy for you in your suffering. How do we know? How do we know we can trust God to do it? Because God sent his son to suffer in your place. And if you were listening to last week, I didn't hear the sermon, but I'm hoping it was mentioned because it's in the text. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The joy that was... Uh, we think God's happy with us when we're not suffering. Can I just tell you how foolish that is? That is elementary thinking when it comes to the Bible. You will suffer. For the name of Christ. Now, some of you will suffer differently, but everybody who follows Jesus, here's the call. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. Where are you going, Jesus? To die. Oh, but if you keep reading, it's gain. It's gain. That's where life is found. It's in him and it's in you dying. And that's when resurrection happens, when you stop trying to be little G God and you say, I make a horrible God. And so does my wife, and so does my daughter, and so does my dog, and so does money, and so does this. And so, oh, dethrone me, Lord. And I want to worship you. I'm going to trust you with my money, with my wife, with my daughter, with my dog. Why? Because you're good. How do I know you're good? I look to the cross, and I see if you would give your son for my salvation, why would you withhold anything for my ultimate joy in you? Answer, he wouldn't. He'll gladly pour it out. He'll give you more of him. See, life under the sun is to be enjoyed in the Son of God. It, so here's the thing. Enjoy your life. It's a gift. Is, is your life, and when I say these things, I don't want you to think I'm up here like, your life, right? Like, I'm pointing at me. Is your life known more for focusing on the greatness of God or focusing on what you think you have to have to be happy? Are you always grumbling and complaining about your situation, whether it was a situation you put yourself in because of your foolishness or a situation that had nothing to do with you and happened outside of you? Or are you saying this situation's come through your hand and your hand's given me your son and I'm going to trust you with it? Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. He's going to tell us. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Enjoy. He's going to go on and on with this little theme throughout the rest of Ecclesiastes. Really, it comes down to worship. It really does. See, the picture being painted here is emphasizing joy in God's presence, right? Like, think about a seesaw. When your worship is up, your worry is down. Right? It's, just, it's just simple like that. When your worry's up, your worship's down. And there's no way around it. Um, and, and, I, and you think, Man, that, 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 that can't be true. See, like, rejoice always. You're like, I can't. You don't know what's going on in my life. I, I'm, I'm saying that the thought that you can't worship and enjoy and rejoice in Jesus and the gospel, if you think you can't do that because of some circumstance, is a lie of Satan. It's a lie. It's a lie. I, I just spent a week at Johnny and Friends with people who carry greater burdens than I could ever imagine. And we're there to encourage them. And oh, did they encourage my soul. They encourage my soul as I see the burdens they're carrying. Why? Because God's given them grace for that. 
Oh, what if I lost my money? God will give you grace for that. What if I became paralyzed from neck down? God will give you grace for that. What if I lost my child? God will give you grace for that. What if my wife or my husband left? God will give you grace for that. You can trust him with everything, not just the little things, with everything. Oh, we try to control every situation so that we're so anxious, we never enjoy the life that God has given us. Why? Because we're just so worried that we think we're a better God. If I was in charge, I'd know what would happen. I would do this and I would do that. Then I'd be happy. And God's saying, why don't trust me? I've got you. I'm for you. The, the reason that happens is because you're, you're not convinced God loves you. That's why it happens. You're just not. I'm not saying you're not a follower of Christ. I'm saying, oh God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I've got to tell you, for years, I was not convinced of God's love for me, even as a Christian man. What's the answer to that? To gaze upon the glories of the cross. To gaze, to think, to meditate. Use your noodle. Trite sayings on the internet will not satisfy your soul and carry the weight of a hard life. Dig deep. If you rake, you get leaves. If you dig, you might get diamonds. Get in the Word. Know your God. He can be trusted. Trust Him. I'm going to give you a story. We're going to wrap up-ish, soon-ish. Um, if you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe this woman. Okay? An extraordinary... extraordinary uh, Let's start over. Elizabeth Elliot said this, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Okay? But this quote is, that I'm about to read, this story is not from Elizabeth Elliot. It's from a woman named Eddie Halsman. And she reflected in her, her diary. Listen to this. She reflected in her diary and letters. In the darkest days of Nazi occupation in Holland, Eddie found a capacity for joy and celebration. Writing on August 18, 1943, while in Westbrook camp, before being sent to death at Auschwitz, she addressed God. Now listen to what she says. You have made me so rich of God. Please let me share out your beauty with open hands. My life has become an uninterrupted dialogue with you, O oh God, Feet planted on your earth, my eyes raised towards your heaven. Tears sometimes run down my face, tears of deep emotion and gratitude. At night, too, when I lie in my bed and rest in you, O oh God, tears of my gratitude run down my face, and that is my prayer. I have been terribly tired for several days, but that, too, will pass. Things come and go in a deeper rhythm. And people must be taught to listen. It is the most important thing we have to learn in this life. Pause. If you remember, last two weeks ago, Solomon said, listen. Continue. I always end up with just one single word. God. The beat of my heart has grown deeper, more active, and they more peaceful. And it is as if I were all the time storing up inner riches. End quote. Eddie died, by the way, in Auschwitz, uh, November 30th, 1943. No doubt this woman was one of the wealthiest humans to ever walk the face of the earth. Oh, church, delight in God. Delight in God. God loves to be enjoyed, so let us do that. Let's enjoy Him. Let's worship Christ in spirit and truth. I had the, the joy and privilege to preach to about, I was like 50, 60 uh, Holocaust survivors in Israel, um, I don't know, a handful of years ago. And I was terrified at that moment. And they were not trusting in Christ for their salvation. And I was afraid to talk about suffering with them because. Well, they have suffered far more than I could ever imagine. I heard their stories. We ate dinner together. Um, we enjoyed a meal and time and spent time with them. 
And then it was time, and my missionary friend comes up to me and says, Scott, uh, I want you to preach tonight. I'm like, oh, okay, like when? He's like, uh, now. Oh, okay, cool. In season, out of season, be ready, huh? Um, so now I'm, I'm terrified. And when I get anxious, my palms get sweaty. So I, sometimes on Sunday, I'll give you a fist bump if you're ever wondering. <laughs> we all have things, right? <laughs> and so I, I get up there, and I'm looking at these eyes, and I'm thinking, oh, God, help me. They're about to experience suffering I can't fathom. And it would make the Holocaust look insignificant. And so, he did. And, and I want to read the text that I read to them. And be, the reason is, is because I was there during the Feast of Tabernacles, and this is what Jesus said at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so I tried to tie that all together real quick. Um, Jesus stood up on the last day, and it says this in John 7, 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirst." I want you to, you have to have a lot of history to understand the, the magnitude of what Christ is saying because the Feast of Tabernacles is going back to when Israel was gone through the desert and they were, were thirsty and, and God would give them water from rock and all these miracles were happening. And, and they were there celebrating God's faithfulness in the desert. And Jesus says, he stands up and he says, if anyone thirst, imagine this. This is, a, this is a scene, man. This is a spectacle. Let him come to me and drink. Uh, you wonder why he got murdered. Because if this ain't true, this is blasphemy. Whoever believes in me, he says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, now, it says, this he said about the spirit whom they believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified, meaning cross. The spirit, listen, the spirit empowers you and I to receive blessings in order to be a blessing and to enjoy the life that you and I have been given. You can't do it. And all you're struggling and all you're striving is you trying to do it. And oh, how miserable of a life that is. I've used this illustration before, and I don't have a lot of great illustrations, but I like this one. If you were to go sailing and you were to put up the sail and you were to just say, okay, there's no wind. Oh, how tired you would be. And that is how many people live the Christian walk. Oh, how much better it might be that you sit down and enjoy the sunshine and pray for some wind. And when he supplies it, you go. Oh, God, help us to enjoy our lives. We can't do it. But you in us, you can give us the power, the grace to enjoy it. And so he will. Here's your quick applications. Here's your quick applications. One is wealth can pull away our soul from the very worship of God. So then what is the gospel approach to wealth? Well, wealth is dangerous. That's why worship is war, by the way. Fight the good fight of faith. It doesn't mean you don't fight. You fight the good fight of faith. Like, what does that look like? You're like a spiritual ninja? No, it's not like that at all. What it looks like is you fight to trust the word of God. That faith is, is trust. It's trusting God's word in these moments. And it's a war because everything is seeking to tear apart you from the hand of the one who has you. But thankfully, we have a good shepherd who never lets his sheep go. You can't outrun him. The hound of heaven will come. He will hunt you down. He will drag you into the kingdom, kicking and ah, screaming if necessary. That's what C.S. Lewis said. You can't outrun him. But, but better yet is don't run from him at all. Don't wander from him at all. Get to know the voice of your shepherd who says, follow me. Ah, uh, what about obedience? If you love me, you obey. Come on. Where are we going? Green pastures. Still waters. I'm going to anoint your head. Your cup's going to overflow. 
trust me. Come on. Well, we're going through a really scary moment. This is the valley of death. I know. I've been there. I've overcome it. I've conquered it. I got you. You can trust me. Yeah, but what about my sick kid? I know. I got you. Well, I want to run. Don't run. I got you. Oh, my staff and my rod, I will protect you. I've given myself for you. I know what I'm doing. I know where we're going. Come with me. Where are we going? Abundant life. It's war. So how do we avoid the danger? I ran out of time, but I'm going to give you two quick thoughts and I'm going to give you two verses to look at in your own time, okay? One, seek to live a life of simplicity. Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. Look at them in your own time. Secondly, seek to live a life of generosity. I mean with everything. Your time, your talent, your energy, everything. Oh, give it away. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Different song. Be generous. Your God is so generous. Be like Dad. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 would be the place to look there. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Family, wealth is a gift from God and it's for the sake of his mission. It's, it's meant to be used to, to love people. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. So, so be generous. He blesses you with finances if he has in order to be a blessing to magnify the name of Christ. So the question I'm going to leave you with is, do you magnify Jesus with your wealth? You want to have, if you ever want to know, do a little study and look at your budget, and you'll quickly know. If I can see your checking account, I can tell you. You're like, well, I'm not going to show you that. I'm not asking to see it. I've done it with myself. I saved my receipts one month, and I'm like, well, I think I found a little margin to help my friends in India seeking to bring the gospel. God did that, not Scott. If it were up to me, oh, so greedy. Lastly, church, our hope is ultimately in Jesus, not our wealth. Not our wealth. So trust him, enjoy him, love him, delight in him, worship him, fight the good fight of faith and enjoy this life. Because when you have life in God, can I tell you, spoiler alert, ready? There's nothing meaningless under the sun. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.